I don't, I don't know why I don't recall some of the, the details of this particular area of my life when I was a dad of our two newborns. But, but as a grandpa, I'm, uh, we finally came up with our names. Uh, Lisa is uh, Gigi, and I am Papa or Papa Andy. So that's, that's the way it's going to be. But as Papa Andy, I'm finally beginning to think about this area of life, and I am fascinated by it. Uh, life itself is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. But, and what am I, to what am I referring? I'm referring to the developmental steps that happen with a, an infant when, it comes, when he or she comes out of his mama's tummy. And then those, those steps or those sequential developmental things that you see happening in a child's life as the child develops. I, I, didn't, I didn't really know about any of that. I didn't even think about any of that uh, when we were parenting our first two. I don't know if Lisa did or not. She didn't tell me about that. But now you go online and you see these massive charts of this is what they're supposed to be doing at infancy. This is what they're supposed to be doing at one month. You know, you've got gross motor skills. Babies do a lot of gross things, but gross motor skills, big movement. That, sorry, that's not good either. Oh, but, but, you know, they do, they do things. A uh, lot, what they're talking about, not, not the fine motor skills, but gross motor skills, uh, uh, fine motor skills, language and cognitive developmental steps that happen along the way, as well as social. I, I wanted to cover some of this with you uh, by way of introduction today. These are things that... Uh, I, maybe, maybe it's because, again, that he arrived six weeks early uh, to, to this uh, coming out of his mama's tummy uh, that soon, uh, our grandson Jack. And the pre uh, pediatrician, and in all of his uh, or her instruction to our daughter, uh, Stacy, and, and to Kelly, about all the things that were going to happen with Jack, they had to be prepared for that because on that, on that chart, he was going to be about six weeks behind, six weeks, maybe two months behind, in his, uh, in his developmental steps. But they've been watching those. They've been watching those markers to see how they, how they go forward. At one month, this is from WebMD, uh, at one month, gross motor skills, uh, the baby starts to move the head from side to side when on the stomach. Fine motor skills, they begin to develop a strong grip. You know what that's like. I remember doing that with Jacks, just holding my finger out there close to him and letting him grip onto that and then just hold that there. And you just think, that's really cool. This one-month-old grabs on and holds. Uh, they, they begin to stare at their hands and fingers. They begin to track movement with their eyes at one month. At two months, they can begin to hold the head up and neck briefly while on their tummies. They can begin to open and close their hands. They begin to play with their fingers they begin to smile responsively. And I remember that was one of the neatest uh, things to first see with, with Jack was when they were here uh, with us. And I had him, I had him uh, on his tummy and we were just kind of grooving around uh, like this in the kitchen and Christy came by and she did some kind of funky little groove dance and Jack just laughed. And I said, this is really, this is really cool. He sees that and he sees the humor in it as, as we always do when state, you know, Christy dances uh, and, and enjoyed it. Uh, at three months, they begin to reach and grab at objects. They begin to grip uh, objects in, uh, grips objects in hands. They begin to coo and they can begin to imitate when you stick out your tongue, things like that. Uh, at four months, they begin to push up on their arms when lying on their tummy. 
They uh, go out after things, grab them, and get them. They begin to really laugh out loud. And they enjoy playing, and they may cry when the playing stops. At five months, they begin to roll over in one uh, or the other direction. And I, uh, this, this is one thing that would, would frustrate us. Uh, they would, they would send, this didn't frustrate us, but they would send us, and this was the neat thing about, uh, un- unfortunately, here we are 10 hours away from them, but uh, Stacy was just excellent at sending videos of, of what's happening, almost daily, videos and snapshots of different things. But one of the things that would frustrate me is I'd see Jack in a certain position where he's uncomfortable. You can tell he's wanting to do something and move something a certain way. And, uh, you know, Stacy would say, oh, Jack looks like you're stuck there. Yeah, he's stuck. Turn him over. Help him. You know, you're stuck there. You, you know, your elbow's up a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure he's into the elbow and all the other vocabulary words that he doesn't know. But, you know, it looks like this. It looks like this. And she'd just talk to him and be patient. And, and surely, you know, slow enough, uh, slowly but surely, he would then begin sometimes to get that elbow and then, and then turn. Uh, but they begin uh, learning to transfer objects from one hand to the other. They begin to, and here is a term that I had never heard. I don't know, it's an educational uh, glitch, but I had never heard this term until Jack was five months, uh, five months old in terms of uh, coming out uh, when he did and when, when he should have been uh, five months based on his, his, his actual uh, date of birth that he should have had had he not been early. But he began blowing raspberries. How, true, true confessions. How many of you have no idea what blowing raspberries is? Any, so I'm the only one? Okay, there, I, I feel good about that. Thank you. I didn't know what blowing raspberries were, but it's blowing spit bubbles. They begin to blow those massive uh, spit bubbles. And it was neat seeing Jack uh, blow raspberries, even though uh, Stacy was saying, oh, look, he's blowing raspberries. I have no idea what that is. Um, but anyway, begins to reach for mom and dad and cry if they're out of sight. That would be neat. That was interesting as well. We'd be on video with him, uh, chatting with him, and uh, his dad, Kelly, would come into the room, and he'd come in, and he'd see him, and his eyes would light up, and they'd talk you know, back and forth a little bit, and then Kelly would leave the room, and he'd start to cry. Uh, he's, he's recognizing that his dad, or this person in his life, has, has gone, and the, the social development that's happening, and the feeling of loss when one is left. At six months, they can roll over both ways. They can use hands to rake small objects. They begin babbling. They recognize familiar faces and caregivers, uh, friends, as well as family. At seven months, they begin to move around uh, and start crawling. Uh, They start scooting, or they even army crawl. And uh, Jack, uh, it was interesting seeing him do that. He had this uh, device that was like a, it was like a, a stick or a shaft with a, a round uh, attachment at the end, and it had a rattle sound. But Jack just gets everything that he has, and he wings it. Sometimes he does it left-handed. I like that. I'm left-handed. But he'll fling it. And then, you know, this was another one of those times where we're watching this video. He gets this thing in his hand, and he holds it, and he flings it, and it goes out. And because it has that, that circular uh, end, it would spin around and come back, but it was out of reach. And uh, so I'm thinking what, what we did back then is we, we get it and we get it back to him and then he's happy. Uh, but Stacy didn't do that. Oh, Jack, looks like it's too far away. It's just, here comes the Stacy dialogue again. Oh, do you want to go get it? And he's like, uh, uh, yeah, you can get it. Go get it. 
Uh, and he, he just flat out on his stomach, just doing nothing. She said, you can do it, you can do it. And then he goes into army crawl. He gets down on all, you know, well, he was already down, but he, he spreads out and he just starts moving that tummy along and all of a sudden, boom, he's got that thing and then flings it again. But it's so neat seeing that developmental cycle going uh, in, in all, those, uh, all those directions and advancing in that way. They begin to babble in a more complex way. They begin to respond to other people's expressions of emotion. I want to scoot forward to nine months because that's where uh, Jack is right now. And uh, in terms of even though he's, he's, uh, he was born at the end of, uh, end, of, uh, uh, end of November, he should not have been born until uh, early, early uh, January. So he's, he's right really close uh, to coming into the nine months at this point. Gross motor skills. May try to climb and crawl upstairs. Use the pincer grasp. You know, where they, they begin to, to work like that. It's interesting seeing him do the pincer grasp uh, with food to put him at, at, at that, uh, in the baby chair. And just, you know, Stacy just puts, he, she puts pasta stuff together with carrots. And then it could be Honey Nut Cheerios or whatever. All these things in there. And just to watch him begin to grab that or, or, or reach down and grab that individual uh, Honey Nut Cheerio and pop that in and chase it with the pasta, you know, it, it, but just to be able to grab and do those things, to see something and grab it and then eat and eat and eat. And, and this was something that we didn't know about. I, they, they say you got to teach, you got to give kids the opportunity to take these food chunks and put them in their mouths and they need to learn to not eat too much. And the gag reflex is actually a good thing. We thought gagging was a really bad thing when I was when we were parenting, but you know, they, if they if they get a little too much in their mouths and they gag, uh, that that's part of how to learn how to how to eat. So he gags a lot. You know, he get, grabs these things, he's putting all of this in there, uh, and it's filling up, and they're laughing, and we're freaking out on, on, as we're watching this. But then, uh, but but in that, then they they have this ability to. Uh, to respond to, to familiar words and to look when you call their name. So he, he, he was, you know, you could see he's uncomfortable and he's been eating so much that uh, he might need a drink of water. So they'd say, you know, he's still just fascinated by this blob of food that's around him. And they'd say, Jack, Jack. And then at some point he's finally able to take his, his focus away from the food. It takes me a while generally to do the same. But he looks up and then he sees, he sees them talking to him. And would you like some water? He kind of looks at water and then he looks over and sees his, his cup there of water. And then they get the water and he grabs that thing and gets it and guzzles it down. And then he's ready to, ready to eat more pasta and carrots and, and Honey Nut Cheerios. It's so fascinating seeing uh, them from the very beginning of life, and, but, but slowly meet these, these landmarks, these, these developmental spots in their lives as they grow. Kelly and Stacy again, they send us, send us pictures, they send us videos frequently, and it gives us no small amount of joy. We do FaceTime and hopefully are creating a connection that we really, really would like to have on a day in and day out basis, but it just, it just ain't so. Uh, Ten hours is a, a long way away. Life, developmental stages, learning, connection, growth on all levels from gestation to infancy, infancy to, uh, to early uh, 
early childhood to uh, pre-adolescence to adolescence and into adulthood, all of those stages are fascinating. They're fascinating. And all of those stages of development were designed by the creator God, the creator of life. God gives us passages in his word so we will consider the spiritual parallels. So we'll consider the temporary nature of these stages that, that, that kids go through to come to this stage and then to this stage. But he also gives us all of these, these discussions about life itself and gives us the example of, of life and even a small child's uh, development to teach us something else, else about the temporary nature of our existence. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about death, the earthly tent experience. I'm going to ask two morbid questions here as we get going in the message. How many of us here have ever seen a dead person? How many of you have seen a dead person? How many of you have been to a, a, an open casket funeral to see a dead person? How many of us here were in the presence of someone close to us as they died to watch them breathe their last, last breath and die? It is uh, the first time we experience something like that. It is something that we never forget, do we? We never forget something like that. It's an incredible, incredibly moving experience to be present at the birth of a child. To see this child that's been uh, re receiving the nourishment that he or she has from, from the mother and, and to be connected through the umbilical cord and to come out and then first take in their breath of fresh air. It, it, it is, it is a, a, an amazing experience to watch them suck that air in and breathe, and here they are. They're on the scene. But it is also an incredibly moving experience to see a one-time vibrant life that breathes his or her last breath and then ceases to exist. Those of you that have seen that, you know what that's like. You know the experience of that, to reflect on all of the, of the, the interactions that you've had with that, at one time, very vibrant life that now is no more. I'd like us to think a bit about death today. I'd like for our young people here, our young people, to think about death today. I hope as parents, we talk with our children about the subject of death. Death is a, a very uh, appropriate subject to discuss with our children in an age-appropriate manner. Why? Because we must understand life and we must understand death. You know, kids raised on farms, agricultural settings, out, out in nature, they're, they're exposed to death at an early age. Dealing with chickens... Uh, uh, to slaughter a chicken uh, and to know that process, goats, sheep, cattle, those that of, us, uh, of us who have had pets. I had Winnie and Molly and Judy and Pedro and Beep uh, and, and saw many of our, of our pets die. As a kid growing up, uh, I dealt with worms and crickets and grasshoppers. Those things had to die to put them on the hook to catch the fish that also had to die and get cleaned and eaten. 
Life represents one of the central themes of God's word. Let's look in John 1. John 1, uh, the passage that talks about the beginning of it all. John 1. I'll start reading as you're, you're turning. It's a familiar passage, but let's, uh, let's address that. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was God. He is God. Uh, he is part of the God family. He was in the beginning along with God, verse 2. John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him, through Jesus Christ, and without him nothing was made that was made. And here's the statement that I wanted to to get to here, verse 4. In him, in Jesus Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of the world. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In him was life. In God's word, life is contrasted with death. God's word also speaks of death from start to finish, does it not? It starts with, uh, in the day that you eat thereof, of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dying you shall die, Adam and Eve. So they, they went into this course or went along this course then of death. They experienced death. Mankind has experienced death. We are temporary flesh, flesh and blood human beings. We will not exist forever in this state. Genesis 2, and even at the end of Revelation, it talks about death. God sets life and death before us, doesn't he? Blessing and cursing. He sets us and he says, choose life, as we know, even though we are temporary and he knows we're going to die and we know we're going to die. But he also sets life before us, eternal life before us now. He uses death to teach the living. What have you learned from death? What have I learned from death? What is death teaching you and me? What is death teaching our children? Is that that something to address with our children as we talked about? What is death teaching our children? What will death teach mankind as we near the return of Christ, which culminates with the return of Jesus Christ? Let's talk about death today. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 9, uh, 11. Ecclesiastes 11. We cannot discuss the full meaning of this day, the full meaning of the fulfillment of this day, without talking about death. Because the events that lead up to the return of Christ are filled with death. They're filled with death. We're going to look at some of that today. Of course, we know that that's not the end of the story. Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11, we'll start in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give us a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, well, in the place where the tree falls, there it is. Uh, There it lies. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. All these, oh, this is happening. I can't do this. I can't do this. 
so we won't reap if we, if we just are standing and watching these and not doing anything uh, in the process because of being hampered by whatever concerns we have about, the, about that. Verse 5, you don't know, you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of, of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. Be giving, be generous, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Truly, the light is sweet, and it's pleasant, in the eye, uh, pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. This is why I say it's important to talk with our children, uh, or as, as they age, about death. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. Uh, experience life. You know, it, don't, don't be so uh, uh, locked up that we, we can't be able to experience this and try this and try this. Of course, there's a, a caveat that's mentioned here. But enjoy, enjoy that youthfulness, the, the excitement and the ability to do this at the drop of a hat and do this with all our, our, our vigor and in the sight of your eyes. But know this, that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. They're fleeting, they're temporary. And then he makes this statement in verse 1. Remember Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Okay, so he's saying in our youth, we are to remember the, uh, our creator of who he is and, and, and what he is and what his plan for us is, all of the aspects of the creator before the difficult days come. He's, he's talking to the youth to, that difficult days are coming. This is a reality and we, and we should reflect upon that. We know this passage, but let's look, look at uh, the, the reality of this temporary fleeting life. Verse, uh, continuing in verse 1. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I've talked to many out there in the church over the years that you live long enough, and it can come to this point sometimes. You know, wow, I am ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to take that nap that, that wakes to a better day. So many have, have come to that point if, if they live long enough. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers, the hands uh, tremble, and the, the strong men bow down, can't stand up straight like we used to, when the teeth cease because they are few. Where do my teeth go? I, all I can eat is mush. I can't, I can't chomp into a, to a steak like I used to be able to. Whatever the situation. And those that look through the windows grow dim. Can't, can't see as well. The doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, can't sleep. Any little thing here or there wakes me up, can't get back to sleep. And all the daughters of music are brought low. Can't, can't sing those high notes as, as they once did. And also they're afraid of height and terrors in the way when the almond tree blossoms, becomes silvery colored in hair, if we have hair. The grasshoppers is a, uh, is a burden and desire fails. For a man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. So remember your creator before that silver cord is loosed, 
There's one metaphor. Before the golden bowl is broken, another metaphor. The pitcher shattered at the fountain, yet another. Or the wheel broken at the well. Dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit, spirit in man, returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. It's all vanity. It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. There are those present here who have seen much death. If you live long enough, and some here have lived long enough, they've lived so many years that they've seen nearly everyone around them die. There are some in that, in, in that category here today. Some of you have experienced the horrors of battle, the horrors of war, the, the situation of seeing death all around us. Some of us have dealt with sickness, deterioration, decline of health of loved ones to watch them die. Those of you who work in the medical field, you deal with that quite often, the reality of, of the cessation of life and experience that. Those of you that work in care facilities, hospice care, all of those kinds of things. You, you, you've seen your share of death. This brings us to the meaning, to a, a partial aspect of the meaning of this day. What will the world have seen when Jesus Christ returns? For those who are still alive, that, that small remnant of humanity, we know as Scripture talks about Israel, a small, a small remnant, maybe even one-tenth of, of Israel, Makes it, into, uh, makes it through the return of Christ alive as they're brought back to Israel and, and that nation is restored and, and then uh, things expand from there. But what, what will the world have seen, those that survive? What will they have seen? They will have seen death. You think about the meaning of, of, of this day and the fulfillment of these events. Death will be a common term. It will be a, a reality. I want to look at some aspects of that today. Let's look at Revelation 6 verse 7. We'll go through this chain of scriptures pretty quickly just to paint the picture. It's a picture that needs to be painted, brethren. It's a picture that needs to be painted as we reflect on this, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. There's a reason uh, for it for us not only to grasp that, but to teach our children of that. To, to understand who God is and, and, and why God does the things that he does uh, in this, because many struggle with this uh, in the world. But we understand, and it's, a, it's, it's an important, precious understanding that God's people have that we can teach to our young people and to our children at, at, in an age-appropriate way. Revelation 6 Revelation 6, verse 7. Revelation 6, verse 7, as we look at the, the four seals, uh, the, the first four seals, uh, got the, the various uh, horsemen of the apocalypse, as is, is commonly uh, re, uh, referenced. But we come to, uh, in, again, we know this, brethren, but we'll just review briefly. So we've got these four seals, these 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 four seals that are continuing, they continue right up until the return of Christ. Uh, the four seals are, are listed before the fifth seal. The fifth seal mirrors the uh, great tribulation, which is that three and a half year period. So these events are, are the beginning of sorrows, as is talked about in the Olivet prophecies. But then we come to the fifth seal of the great tribulation, which uh, in that three and a half years also encompasses the time period of what we call the, of what scripture calls the day of the Lord, this, this time period of the, of the, of the trumpet 
the trumpet blasts uh, leading up to the return of Christ. So we see one of these, these horses, uh, these, these horsemen uh, on these horses, and notice what it says about the fourth, the fourth seal, the fourth uh, horse and the, per, the rider on the horse. Revelation 6, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, this this sickly green, uh, pale, pale horse is, uh, is, is there. And the name of him who sat on this, this horse was Death. And the grave, Hades, uh, followed with him. Power was given over them, uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the field. One-fourth of the population of the world to be killed by this this fourth this fourth seal this fourth uh, uh, horseman on this sickly green horse Matthew 24 verse 21 let's look there Matthew 24 verse 21 as we just mentioned Matthew uh, uh, the the fifth seal we'll come back to that here in in Revelation 6, in just a second, if you want to keep your finger there, uh, Matthew 24, verse 21, speaks to this great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21. Matthew 24, 21. He says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until uh, this time, nor ever shall be. It is hard to grasp that. This, this time period of, of this three-and-a-half-year tribulation that nothing will ever be as bad as, as this will be during this time. And we know the passage, but let's read it. Verse 22, And unless those days are shortened, nothing would be left. No flesh would be saved alive. There would be death for everybody. Everybody on earth would be dead if these days were not shortened. But for the elect's sake, but for the chosen ones, as the margin renders, those days will be shortened. Death is coming. Death is coming. And, and if those days are not shortened, all death would occur. Let's go back now to Revelation 6 as it talks to some degree about this three-and-a-half-year time period, this great uh, tribulation uh, titled in the New King James heading as the cry of the martyrs, this fifth seal. Revelation 6, verse 9. Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, those who were dead as a result of of their, their testimony, the word of God and the testimony which they held. They represented Christ. They represented God. They were not afraid to, to say and stand up for the truth and speak to the truth. And uh, metaphorically here, because they're dead, there's no thought in the grave whether they're, whether, where, they're, where they went. They're, they're dead. But metaphorically, like Abel's blood cried out, they cry out. Verse 10, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge, uh, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long till you come back and avenge us of this, of, of, this, of the death that, that we received as a result of being loyal to you? A white robe was given to these, to each of them, and it was said to them that you need to sleep a little longer. You know, rest, rest a little longer. Notice what it says next. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would, would be killed as they were 
was completed. We have many of, of God's people down through uh, near the near the end during this time period, and we of course we we know the the different passages that talk about some some being taken to a place her place where she's nourished for time and times and half a time, but Satan goes back and and makes war with the rest of her offspring during this time, and many many as, as Scripture talks about in various places are are killed as a result. Death for for God's God's people during this time, great martyrdom of God's people. Great uh, a time of, of, of Jacob's trouble for, for Israel during this time as they go into captivity. It continues. Death continues. Revelation 8, verse 10. We come to, you know, we go through the seven seals, and then with the seventh seal, the, the first, the, the, the trumpets begin. And we're going to jump ahead to the third trumpet, this, this time period of these trumpets uh, going off. Third trumpet here. Revelation 8, verse 10. So the third angel sounded, and, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell, it fell on a third of the waters, uh, on the rivers, and on the springs of water. Verse 11. The, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the, of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Revelation 9 as we come to the fifth trumpet, we see uh, an interesting situation to the point where this, uh, the bottomless pit, or the great abyss, is opened. And verse 2, as it opens, smoke arises out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any, any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So in this aspect of a, of a five-month period, as verse five, uh, verse 5 says, uh, God's people uh, are, are protected from that. These other folks are, are in a sense, stung like, and it's, it's tormented like a scorpion. Has anybody here been struck, uh, uh, stung by a scorpion? A few? Wow. I hear it stings. Does it sting? Yeah, okay. I, uh, I watched, my wife and I are watching the old series of The Saint with uh, Roger Moore. We watch these old black and white movies. But anyway, we're in like season four or something. But uh, this, this guy, this evil diabolical guy had uh, raised scorpions, but uh, he raised these giant mutant scorpions. They were like this big. Anyway, a scorpion got a hold of that bad guy. It was not a good thing. It really stung, and he didn't make it too long. But I, that, that's, that's all my experience with, uh, with scorpion. There was a James Bond movie with scorpions. Uh, Diamonds are forever, if I remember correctly. But that always freaked me out, too, but, uh, about scorpions. But these folks are, and in those cases, in those shows, if you get stung by a scorpion, you're dead. You're, you're not going to make it. But in, uh, in, in this situation, as he says here, uh, those men, verse 6, the days men will seek death. They want death, and, and they will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. So during, during the time period, during the time period of, of these various trumpets uh, that will blast, people will be seeking death. Things will be so bad. People will be dying all around them, and then, then there will be people who will be seeking death, and they can't, they can't experience death, the relief of death, as it says here. Look at uh, 
Look at verse uh, 13. The sixth trumpet sounds. This is unfathomable to me. Uh, Revelation 16, I'm sorry, Revelation 9, verse 13. The sixth angel sounds, and, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, these four angels were released to kill one-third of mankind. Can you, can you grasp that? I can't grasp that. I can't grasp one out of every three human beings being alive all of a sudden being dead. Can you imagine mankind's, uh, what, what that will do, the trauma upon mankind as they're seeing this, as they're seeing this play out. We've got all these things that are happening before. We've got one-fourth of mankind uh, killed leading up to this before the, the great tribulation even starts. And then we've got here in these last seven trumpets, we've got at, at one of them during this time period, a third of mankind is, is killed. Look at verse 18. By these three plagues, one-third of mankind, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, this, this, uh, this massive 200-million-man army uh, that, that comes out of, uh, I believe this is the one that comes out of the east, but anyway, this massive army uh, destroys uh, all, all of these people. It's just, it's, it's hard to even grasp death at that level, but that is a reality. That is a reality of what is in store. Look at now verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 16. We're going to jump way ahead, going to jump way ahead here to uh, the, the uh, seventh trump and the second bowl. So we come to the seventh trump sounding. The last trump shall sound. So that, that trump sounds. And then we've got these, these bowls that are poured out, and it appears that these come, come fairly quickly. Because as we thought, as we look at what happens when these bowls are poured out, how long could life continue to go on uh, as it is when something like this happens? Look at verse 3. You talk about, talk about death. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. It became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. The, the oceans are teeming with life. There are so many forms of life that we have yet to even discover that are in the ocean. And it says every living creature in the sea dies. Verse 17 Verse 17, the sixth bowl, the sixth bowl, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Sorry, that was a reference earlier. Sorry. So the king, ways of the kings of the east begin to, to come down. We've got, we've got the, the king here in Jerusalem at that time, that, that king being the, the, that beast power. The false prophet is there alongside the beast, giving that beast power, power, as, as 
they're ruling there from Jerusalem, and you've got the way of the, the, the kings from the east coming down then, uh, that, that this might all be prepared here. Look at verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these are, these are coming out here from Satan, from the beast and the false prophet. They're spirits of demons. They're performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth. Great deception. Great, uh, you know, the, the work of the destroyer, Satan, the devil, to go out and, and get the kings of the earth and to gather them down and, uh, and of the whole world, to gather them down to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This, this gathering, uh, where, where they gather together, is, is called Armageddon, as it says in verse 16. The destroyer who... Who knows? He knows this plan. He hears this. He sees this. He knows these things, and yet, and he knows what his end is going to be, and yet he's still going to be all about this, doing everything that he can to deceive and manipulate and create, create an atmosphere of death. Yet also, who is the one who causes death to occur when Jesus Christ returns? Who is the one who is the one who initiates death at that point, who causes death to occur. Revelation 19, that is the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, as we see here in <clears throat> verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And what goes out of his mouth, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, is a sharp sword with it that he should strike the nations. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, is going to cause death to occur. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his name and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Notice the graphic depiction here in, as he talks, uh, in a sense, to the birds that fly. Verse 18, that you may eat, come here, gather for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So the beasts and the false prophet were captured, the ones who worked signs in his presence, which he deceived, which, which, which uh, he deceived uh, those with who had received the mark of the beast, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Verse 21, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the throne, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Victory. Victory by Jesus Christ and the, the realm that follows him as he returns. Death to the armies gathered there to fight him. Other passages talk about it in a more graphic depiction. But why? Why does, why does God do it that way? Why does Jesus Christ do it that way? This is a part of the meaning of, of, of the fulfillment 
of this day? I think, I think there are several reasons, but one that, that is very important for us to teach our children. This, this event, this event that culminates, that, that comes together, it, uh, the climax of it all, is at the return of Christ when there is ultimate, uh, complete, total conquering and complete victory and complete death to the conquered uh, armies that, that were battling against Christ. Death. I think the reason why uh, it is that way is because it takes us back to the very beginning. Uh, it takes us back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It takes us back to the realization that God said when mankind chooses to reject the revelation of God, the revelation that I am offering you, He's, you know, to, to live and have a happy, abundant life. When mankind rejects that and says, I know best, it will result in death. This is the climax of that. This is the epitome of, of all of that down through the ages of what he said would happen. It comes to this crisis point here where mankind is, is finally able to see in fullness that this is the result of choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the result of that. It comes down to that particular moment in time. In the day that you eat thereof, dying you shall die. A way of death was set in motion, and the, the ultimate epitome of man being at the point where he will destroy himself from the face of the earth if Jesus Christ doesn't, doesn't come uh, at, at that point, that it is, it, is, it is at that point. This is the lesson. This is the lesson. What about you and me? You know, here we are. We, we have been given opportunity to, to take from the tree of life. Uh, our names are writ, written in the book of life as we've gone uh, through the process of, of, of conversion and have been sired by the Holy Spirit. What about you and me? What aspects of our lives as we consider the, the climax of it all as Jesus Christ returns and, and not wanting to have any aspect of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our lives. To what degree is that the case? To what degree are we looking at our lives to saying, here is an aspect of human nature that I am, to which I am still clinging, to where I am still saying, I know better than God. I can choose for myself. I know scripture says this. I know it says this. I know it says this. But I can choose for myself what's best. It results ultimately in this. God gives us he, a, a, a very graphic depiction of, what it, of how it ends uh, for, for those in that situation. And, and he gives us the chance to vicariously step back and look at, look at scripture and say, yes, this is, this is where I will be. This is the, the position in which I'll find myself if I do not put that away if I continue or in any way reject the revelation of God. This is the lesson. Then, back with Adam and Eve, now in our lives now, and this will be the lesson as, lesson as the meaning of this day is fulfilled. Only God, only God through Jesus Christ could deliver us from this hopeless scenario. Only God 
through Jesus Christ will deliver mankind from total annihilation. Death for all. Death forever. Are we allowing God, are we allowing Christ to deliver us from death? Do we submit ourselves to God the Father and Christ? Do we submit ourselves to our Lord and Master, our Savior, our Sovereign King? Do we submit ourselves to the bread of life, to Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, he's the truth, he is the life? And as we do that, as we thank God for delivering us from death and submit ourselves to this great Lord and Master, our King, the King of Kings, We don't become callous to the sufferings of this present world. We don't become callous to the deaths that are occurring through sickness, through epidemics, through old age, through pandemics, through weather disasters, through man-made disasters, through the acts of evil individuals, evil regimes, through the acts of the consequences of sin, through times of situations of time and chance. We don't even become callous to the negligence or thoughtless decisions and whims of others. No, in sadness, we as God's people, we maintain hope of the potential true life, the the true life that awaits mankind, as is depicted in, in part through this fall Holy Day season. Let's turn to Philippians 1. But we do that, brethren, you and I do that, recognizing all the while for us as well, that death, death is a part of this temporary life. Death is a part of this temporary life. Let's look at Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 19. Paul, Paul understood the objective. Paul embraced the, the reality of what lay ahead uh, for him. Paul kept perspective as he kept plowing forward uh, during his temporary life knowing that it was really temporary. He looked to the true life. Philippians 1, verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Talking about some of the trials and things that he had gone through, the the different things that were going on out uh, and challenges for the church and some preaching Christ out of envy and strife. He knew the end of it all, that it will turn out for, for his deliverance uh, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Whatever our age, by life or death, if, I, if I'm seven years old, if I'm 17, 27, 47, 57, I must look at my life the same way Paul did. He, he, he took it from the standpoint of it's, it's all going to be okay. I will, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Those who are not taken to their place and, and nurtured for a time, times, and half a time during the Great Tribulation, those uh, who are now in the middle of that and suffering persecution, they will come to that same understanding, that same grasp, that whether by life or by death, 
I will do God's will. I will strive to allow Christ to be magnified in my body. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> to die is gain. I have I run the race, finished finish the race. To die is gain because they, the, they've completed that. The death occurs that the true life will come next. But he says, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Okay, if God continues to keep me going as I strive to uh, allow Christ to be magnified in my body, uh, there will be fruit from that. Yet what I choose, uh, I cannot tell. He says, and then reality-wise, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, knowing that if he died, he went to sleep, and his next thought would be the waking up uh, at the return of Jesus Christ, in, in a sense, in that respect, to be with Christ. That, that's, that is an incredible thing that, to which he looked forward to. He, he won, I'm, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I, I have a strong desire for that, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Have you come to that? Have you come to that understanding in your life? No matter what your age, have I? Have I really come to that? I think at times I'm getting there. I, at times I'm grasping this. But uh, in reality, there, there are things sometimes that I see that, that I still am, am, am holding on to uh, in this life. Versus saying, my life is completely yours, God. Do with me what you want to do with me. And if I live, I live. If, if I'm sacrificed for, for this cause, so be it. My life is in your hands. I am so focused on that future that's coming, the future which, which is, is triggered at, at the seventh trump of which this day pictures, that that drives me so that all of these other things in life, all of these other things are small. They are small. Am I able to think at that level? Man, that's hard to do. Uh, I, I thought it would get easier as I got older. It is a bit easier, uh, a lot easier than it was when I was in my late teens and my, my early 20s and mid-20s. Uh, but uh, through time, God has, has helped me with this, but I'm still not there to the degree that, that I, I hope to be with God's help. And being confident, verse 25, in this, I know that if I remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me it may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Another passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 that talks about this earthly tent, you know, this, this, this temporary life that we have. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Beautiful passage. Uh, all, 2 Corinthians 4 is just a phenomenal chapter. Uh, all the things that we experience, the things that Paul experienced in verses 7 through 15, to, to look at life from that perspective, to uh, verse 16, not losing heart, knowing the outward man is, is perishing. We're, we're flesh and blood. Uh, yet, yet we are perishing, the inward man being renewed day by day. He says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, boy, I got to work on that. I've got to look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, they're temporary. They're here. They're fleeting. The things which are not seen are eternal. 
For we know that if our, temp, our, our earthly house, this tent, this, this we, who we are, this, this physical flesh and blood is destroyed, brethren, we have a building from God. This is, this is a structure, a building of architecture, a structure that is from God, a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And as a result, we groan. We groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with that, with that dwelling, with that place. That's, where, that's what we, we desire, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed. We want to see mortality to be devoured by life. This, this, the fulfillment of this day, yes, it is about death. And we, we need to understand and grasp that. But this day also triggers the time period of mortality being uh, devoured, of death being devoured by life. Jesus Christ, the life, the light of the world, returns and gives life. It's swallowed up by life. Baby Jack is learning and growing and he's developing. He is, he is full of life and vibrancy. We just love watching those videos. Uh, it is so neat seeing him grow. Uh, and one of the best ways, I wish I was technologically advanced so I could put this up there on the screen, but we have seen the very first time that they put him in a Johnny Jump Up. How many of you have done the Johnny Jump Up thing where you put it on that, uh, the, the uh, the door jam and it hangs down. He's in this outfit and it's on these springs and he's all geared up. And of course, you know, they do the research and, and know the right time to put him in Johnny Jump Up. And I'm thinking, this is not the right time. His head's going like this. You know? His arms are hanging down like this and he's just bouncing. You know, this, this is, you always have to support the neck. That's what I was taught. 19, 1970s, support the neck, uh, support the head. Uh, but anyway, they know the, the right time. So I, 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 I'm, trying to relax and let them do that at, at this young age when it was the right time. But, you know, he was just kind of, you know, just jumping, kind of moving around. But then slowly by slowly, as you watch the Johnny jump up, he starts getting some personality and some character and some, some savvy in his, in his bouncing. And bounce up and jump up and his hands and legs go out. His legs go off to the side, comes back down perfectly, comes up, kicks his legs to the other side. Hands go out, smile, and he's living the dream. And then Kelly did uh, a really cool thing. He had him jumping and everything, and then he put it in slow-mo. And then you see Jack just going, and there's all these, it's just fantastic. So now, you know, it's an art form to watch Jack in, in the Johnny Jump Up. But he's, he's learning, he's developing, and, and in so many areas, it is, it is exciting to watch. But physically, but physically, by virtue of being born a human being, Jack is operating on a temporary timer. He's on a, a temporary timer, which could go off at any time by any number of means which is the case which, with everyone in this room. Even though that's a reality, though, and it is a reality, it could happen. And, and many of us here have, 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 have witnessed the, the untimely death of, of loved ones. But even though that is a reality, Jack's life, as it is with all the children in this room, is very different from that of what the general population is dealing with now. Because of the calling of his parents, Jack is holy. 
He's holy, as scripture indicates. The opportunity for true life is offered, and it's open to him now. He will benefit from that calling to the degree that his parents diligently train him in the way that he should go. And as they model that example of, of what it is to, uh, to have that Paul-like attitude and, and to teach that with, with, with their children. It also works to the degree that, that Jack, as he grows up, chooses to yield to, his, to God and, and yield to, to his calling as he grows through childhood. Yeah, a lot of it's on Jack, too. A lot of it will be on Jack if he lives long enough, if uh, he's not taken early, to take hold of the opportunity and to go beyond just God's spirit working with him to say, I want the true life. I want the true life that is given in fullness at Jesus Christ's return. I want that because I, I know that that is what life really is. And to, to take that and to take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, apply to them to, to be able to be sired by God's Holy Spirit and to become a child of God growing up towards that future is what I hope he will take. He will take on and say, that is what I want. That is the only true life. That is the only thing that does not lead to death. And not only that, not just for him, for him to have that, but for him to recognize that true life true life as we look at the lives, the eternal life of, of God and Jesus Christ, true life is about being able to give and serve and help and, and love perfectly. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to, to offer that, that love and, and care and concern for others as I grow and develop. That's, that's what I hope happens with Jack. It's there for him now. He'll benefit from that calling to the degree that he yields to that. As the millennium begins, can you and I imagine can we imagine how heartening it will be for, for mankind, those few that survive, those that come through that, to, to see human beings who have literally been changed to spirit beings and they're there beside them. These ones who have, have, they have seen have passed from death to life as Christ has returned and set up his throne. Can you imagine how heartening that will be for them to see that? Let's turn finally to Revelation 1. You imagine the, the hope that it will give them in spite of all of the death that they will have witnessed, the numbness of death, the callousness of death, the heartache of, of death to where what hope is there? Everybody around me has died. What will that give them, that hope to see the true life around them? This final scripture uh, speaks to who this great being, this king of kings, is. He, he's described in, in uh, the middle part of Revelation 1. But let's uh, go to verse 18, Revelation 1, verse 18. This, this individual, Jesus Christ, states, I am he who lives. I am the one who was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of the grave. And I have the keys of death. Jesus Christ can, un can unlock the grave. He can unlock death and release it to give life again. This is that being that allows this to happen and that is involved in this, all of this going on to help mankind see what is true life and what is being offered to them. And he will offer that as he returns to this earth. As I watch Jack 
re reaching his developmental markers while his parents are working with him every step of the way, and as I'm fascinated by the processes put in place by the great creator God in, in the parent-child connection that, that he establishes, uh, that's established by him, that he sets up in families, I can't, I can't help but think of the joy that God derives from working with and seeing his children, you and I, today and watch, watching us grow. I, I can't imagine the degree of joy that God experiences in seeing our individual families and seeing each of these little lives that are growing and developing all the while, seeing just, it's, it's a glimpse, it's a glimpse of the life, it's a, a glimpse of, of, the, of the future of what mankind will experience, the overwhelming joy that will overtake God as his plan for all of his children comes into play, as it comes into play with those that come through the, 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 uh, the return of Christ and all the devastation as he begins to work with those little kids spiritually and see the joy of each developmental spiritual step that goes along in their lives. And then ultimately with the, the great white throne judgment, bringing up mankind and giving them that opportunity as little children spiritually to grow and develop, to be a part of his family for eternity. This is the God that we serve. This is the plan that God gives us his, his called out ones now to step into, to grasp and understand and to be able to, to get a taste of what true life is when the one who is the way, the truth, and the life returns to this earth as king of kings along with his saints. May God speed that day, brethren. May God speed that day.